You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this episode is recorded live at the Arena Theatre Wolverhampton uh, with somebody who I've been trying to get on the show for a long time. Uh, We've managed to make the dates work at last, uh, thanks in no small part to Danny Davies who put this live event together. Um, This comedian is someone who really deserves the title associated with this podcast. Uh, He really is an act who other comedians make an effort to see. Uh, I've loved him and followed his career for years. Uh, He's a Canadian who's been based in the UK for some time now. This is the superb Tom Stade. All right, so Thanks, I get Tom. to sit here. Is that what I'm doing? You get right to on. sit here. That's what you're doing, and I'm going to ask you some questions for a bit. Thank okay. you very much. Okay, I thought they were pretty good. Fucking, if I had a really nice crowd, <laughs> uh, you know, you guys are a nice crowd, but you're a lecture crowd. You're like, teach me. I wish to learn. I'm not complete without my comedy knowledge. <laughs> Sorry. So let's let's start by uh, just for the benefit of the listener who won't hear any of that gig. Okay. Um, let's just uh, recap. Well, I say gig as sort of you know ten minutes worth of new material from both of us. It was amateur night tonight. It was well, you and... know. Let let's talk about this because there are, I think, to, from both of our points of view, there are several key reasons why that didn't launch into, you know, why the decision why we both went okay, I'll do some new stuff and kind of. Try just, some things out. You're just looking for that little bit of a laugh to know that it, it actually works if you put some effort into it. Like the when when I was doing those, I could tell they like the brain part. Yep. They love scooping out brains. It yep. was a good comedy visual. <laughs> uh, fucking for sure. And then and then, but that was just a prelude. Uh, is that the right word? Prelude? Did I use that right? I'm very uneducated. Finish the sentence, we'll be able to tell you. Okay. <laughs> and then we went into the Nike sweatshop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I eased him in mm-hmm. to fucking whipping a small Chinese boy with a belt. Yeah. <laughs> so very skillfully as well. So, so that was a deliberate choice on your part to do like an easy, visual, dumb version of the idea before you get into the slightly harder to swallow stuff. Well, uh, to get into the wisdom of the joke. Do you know what I mean? I, I always go for wisdom over cleverness. The go wisdom, on. How, the how wisdom, do you mean? Well, um, every great comedian I've ever seen, like some people write jokes. You said you had uh, Gary here and there, there's there's very great joke writers and people love uh, cleverness of the English language you know like if you can use it like Gary does then you're a fabulous you're, you're a great joke writer but for me like I always I've never been the, the that kind of a joke writer for me it's always there's always just a, a tiny piece of wisdom behind everything I want to say 
you know. So, so there, it's like my son said. My my son was fabulous. He he was because he's eighteen and he's really into life and analyzing everything. And I'm now just a ball of awareness walking around. I surpassed him, but he's <laughs> you're br- so you're a ball of awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, fuck, uh, we'll get into that later. <laughs> fucking, I'll show you how freaky I fucking am. Um. Uh, but he said, uh, you know, uh, most people, he breaks it down as an 18 year old kid. He goes, um, uh, okay. Intelligent people talk about events and, uh, intelligent people talk about concepts and he, he enjoys being around people who talk about concepts because concepts, everybody can relate to individual events. You had to be there. And most people tell uh, individual events on stage. Do you know what I mean? And and unless there is that nugget of wisdom that you maybe have learned something from this uh, event you're talking about to relate to them. But then again, then it would turn into a concept and all that sort of stuff of what actually happened at that event. But most people never go that far. And uh, for me, I, I always like to look at... Um, my life like I'm, I'm watching a, a movie. Do you know what I mean? So I can see what I was thinking, the fear, everything in me. So when, I, when, I'm, when I'm talking about like um, uh, what happened to me today or whatever, there's always a, there's always a reason why I did it. And, and then I'll find out, as soon as I find out the reason why I did it, I'm, I, I assume most people would have that same reason. And that seems to bring people together for me in jokes and all that sort of stuff. So when you, when you, well, first, thank you, because normally it takes us 20 minutes worth of an interview to get to stuff that's that bang on. And we're straight into the nitty gritty there, which is great. I'm very excited about that. Okay. When you say you're, when you say you're watching your life as a movie, do you mean that you try to have that in the back of your mind at all times to be aware of what you're doing as you're doing it? Or is that you mean something when you're looking back at events that have happened from the perspective of writing? Um, say that to me one more time. You, so, sorry. You said you were looking at your life, trying to see your life as a movie to kind of look through it and see yeah. the, the common experience. Right. And I'm asking whether you, you do that. Like you said, you're a big ball of awareness. Yeah. I'm asking whether you look at your life like it's a movie as you're living it or after an event has happened, you no, look as back I'm at it. living it the whole time, as I, as I'm as I'm walking the thing. Not not only that, okay. Not only do I look at it like it's a movie, because I think if you get too involved in your life, you can't see the funny. You know what I mean? Like if you've ever talked to somebody who's very passionate about something and they're real passionate, and then you throw in a little funny to them, they fucking just go right over it. Do you know what I mean? Okay. You, you've, you've banged them with a really fucking good tag on what they're saying, but they can't see it because they're so deep in their, their story, their life, and all that sort of stuff. And to me, I don't want to get that passionate about anything. You know, like, I mean, to me, not only do I watch my life like it's a movie, Stu, I watch it like I've watched it a second time. You know, I watched, and, and this is all shit I've learned in books and stuff like that. You know, it's not, it's not any wisdom that I'm throwing out there, but I don't know if uh, everybody sees it this way. Do you know what I mean? So, 
But when you watch the movie for the first time, you're still really involved in the movie because you don't know what the ending is. You go through the ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. But when you watch the movie like a second time, all of a sudden, yeah, you can see they're going through the trials and tribulations and you're not that invested in it anymore. And you know it's all going to end up great. You know, So you're not so much a slave to your emotions that you can actually see the funny that is going on in front of you. you know? So if you're, if you're taking... I mean, that's fascinating. But if you're... If you're taking that approach to the living of your life, yeah. does, that, does that emotionally disconnect you from the living of your life, from the decisions that you're making? Well, there, there's the question there, Stu. You've got to decide. Um, you, I always ask this question of people when I'm talking to them. I always go, is it your life or are you life? And if you decide that it is your life, you're going to be very involved in what you're doing. If you decide you are life, you're just kind of witnessing what's going on around you and you're not such a slave to it. Do you know what I mean? So, okay, so, so, so you're, the ability to do that, to, to be able to step outside and watch it going on, yeah. it's, in fact, what you're saying really is that step outside isn't the right thing because that implies a disconnection from it, but actually mm-hmm. you're talking about I'm being st- more involved. Yeah, in really involved. Oh, in that's but, awesome, but, I love it. But, but not personally involved in okay. it. You know what I mean? You still have to play the game. Don't get me wrong. Okay. okay. You still have to... Uh, you, you, you cannot get out of this game. But for most comedians, they can't see what's in front of their fucking face. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, so they miss that wisdom of what they're doing to me. And, and they go for the cleverness of everything. But for, for me, I, I, I always question like... Like, why, why me and my... I, I talk about my gal a lot, okay? Um, but what I do is I question why we, we know we're both psychos and to try and talk about the psycho shit that we fucking do and, and actually uh, bring some light into why we did it. But if you're too passionately involved, you just, I, I just don't think you can see it, you know? But that's only my opinion, Stu. That is so, I mean, there, the, you know as well as I do, there are so many different uh, avenues you can go for comedy. I mean, comedy isn't just one thing. Comedy has got a, such a wide variety, but that's just the way I personally view it. And is, is, that, is that way, which is very particular to you, and actually... Already just saying that, I can, that, and we'll talk a lot, I'm sure, about some of the, the bits of material that you've got. One of, the, one of, I think, the defining factors of someone like you, and I think it applies to Mickey Flanagan as well, who you briefly mentioned earlier on. Um, is I, lo- the- I love, I love, yeah, <laughs> like totally. to such a different spectrum, but that's only in profile, not in talent. I think he... I think his approach is very similar to yours because he isn't going for clever ideas. And I think Mickey is similar to you in that when you write down the material, it, it's hard to actually identify which bit of it is the joke. Do you know yeah. what I mean? The, the kind of the payoff, the ta-da, because it isn't about clever ideas. It's actually about something that's deeper and truer than that. I was listening back to a, a routine of yours, which, which when I first saw you, you were... You were you know, you used that routine for a long time, the, the, the plane crash yep. stuff. So I was in a... And the, the routine begins, so I was in a plane... And forgive me for misquoting it badly. Don't worry, man. I the, can barely remember it either. The, <laughs> so I was in a plane crash, and here, if you want to know what happens in a plane crash, here's what you do. The pilot comes over the tattoo and he says, brace, brace. So then you put on your seatbelt, and I put my tray up, because I'd been listening. And, yep. and that, to me... Is, and then you did describe the, that whole thing of like, if you want to know what it's like to do this, here's what it is. And then within that, we see your perspective of describing 
how ridiculous everything how is. How ridiculous yeah. it is, but and, it's not and like why you're going... are you lying to us? Because I'm going to show you that if, if what you're saying is the truth, that everyone should survive a plane crash easy. It's just a, it's a lie and an ease. If this plane goes fucking down, who gives a fuck if you're wearing your seatbelt? Yeah, We're exactly. We're going down. Exactly. Okay, but... and that is it. No, no, you, nobody's reading a fucking card going, okay, we should be safe. Everybody, put your mask on the children first. Fuck that. But I think that's... I think that's exactly... I don't even think that's the way. I think you're supposed to put it on yourself. <laughs> that's where I went wrong. That's why we all died. Because <laughs> I put my, my mask on my kid first, and then, fuck, we all died. <laughs> I'm the only one that can swim. This cunt's drowning. <laughs> but I think that, that is exactly what distinguishes you from a lot of other comics, in that I think a lot of people would stop at... Hey, as if, you know what I mean, as if, as if putting my mask on my kid first is going to save me. Do you know what I mean? They just come at it straight at the, the clever idea of it. Yeah. But you're saying all of that stuff without going, there's no, have you ever noticed? There's no, hey, this is my observation. The observation is kind of couched. The observation is woven through your description of how things are. Yeah, yeah, and, and well, I don't know. Maybe that sounds good. Makes me sound smart, too. <laughs> Fucking, I'm impressed, man. <laughs> well, wow, I might be smarter than I actually thought. Well, this is. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, I think I think dancing around something, and I think I think that there is no end to any joke. It's as only as far as you can take it. You know, I mean, I mean, if you're just looking for a laugh and then move on, that's fine. That's what you're saying, right? You're saying they end it here, boom, ta-da, there's yeah. the laugh. Yeah. But I, uh, you, you'll know as well as I do that I could be doing a joke for a really long time and, and all of a sudden somebody will come up to you and I go, I got a really great tag for that joke that you, you'd never even thought of and all of a sudden they give you that tag and all of a sudden that joke goes a little bit further and from that tag all of a sudden you can even see more of that joke you know so, so I don't think the joke ever ends in, in fact I'm one to sit there I, I really like to stay on a topic for a long time do you know what I mean because I think I, I think there's, there's, there's more laughs it was what I was saying to actually Denny um, when I was. Uh, the material to me isn't the funny. I'm the funny. The material itself is just uh, sort of like my platform to be funny. But without me, it's dead in the fucking water. Do you know what I mean? Because anybody can write great jokes, but not everybody can perform. Them, do you know? You know how many people have written great jokes that you see on stage and they die, and you know if you had that in your hands, mm-hmm. you would totally fucking destroy with it. But you can't steal it from this douchebag. <laughs> he's just destroyed humor by not being a good comedian. And way to go, way to rob the world of your great idea because you're such a shitball. <laughs> how much of it is you talked about um, about? being smart, you know, or whether, whether or not you're smart, that makes you sound smart. How much of it is, is intelligence and how much of it is instinct uh, for you? Uh, instinct's a big one. Like, sometimes I get worried, man. Sometimes I get worried because um, I am a, a high school president dropout, okay? Like I, what is a president dropout? I was, well, I was high school president... And I dropped out. I, I suppose it does like, seem kind of obvious I mean, when I you le- say I that. I left office. 
<laughs> after I was found with a bottle of Kahlua at an airbag contest, and they booted me out for 10 days, and I just never fucking went back. And um, when, when, they, w- w- when you're talking about that, instinct to me is very important. I mean, uh, intelligence, uh, what is that? You know, what is intelligence? Is, is intelligence that you've, you can retain everything you've ever read? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what makes Stephen Fry super intelligent because every, every word he's ever read, he can remember. Uh, there's a lot of people like that. You know, for me, fuck, I read a book, like, two weeks later, I'm wondering who the fucking author was. And, uh, but for, for the most part, I think, for me, it's more uh, wisdom of living the life that that uh, the the path that I've been going down that's the wisdom that I have and I think I think wisdom uh, relates to people more than intelligence does you know I mean I mean we all like to feel smart and, and we all like to feel intelligent but everybody's intelligent uh, to to the point of what they've been exposed to mm-hmm. you know what I mean by that so 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 for me I think but everybody. Everybody in this room is is wise for whatever path they've ever gone down, and and I think I can relate to them on that level more than I can, you know. Hey, guess what I read yesterday? <laughs> Fucking yeah, <laughs> fuck school. <laughs> <laughs> so so given that that's the comedian that you are now, is that mm. the comedian that you started off being? Oh, uh, um, no. <laughs> I I actually started off wanting I knew okay I knew I wanted to be in show business okay I'm one of those guys from when I was 10 years old I was acting and all that and I was always an actor foremost but the funny part was is my dad listened to comedy albums I had comedy albums coming out my yin yang like when I was a kid, but it never occurred to me to fucking comedy in 70, you know, when you're fucking what, in 79, mm-hmm. you, it wouldn't even have occurred to you to become a comedian, but, but lots of acting, little theaters and all that sort of shit. That was a viable thing. And I was pretty good at it. And, uh, and plus I, I realized that if you are in show business, you'll be able to, I've always said this, <laughs> You'll be able to maintain your high school lifestyle forever. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like that is the one uh, that is the one fee that not a lot of people realize about this business. And um, so, so when I first got into comedy through through a friend and all that sort of stuff, I just I kind of fell in love with it. I wasn't I wasn't a comedian in the beginning. I just I just liked the fact that I could be the the director, the scriptwriter, the star, everything. To me, the way I viewed it in the beginning was it was like a play. It was like a, a big-ass monologue that I'll prepare and I'll go out there and I'll wow these people. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, then, and, and that's all I knew of it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So when I got into it, but, but the thrill of being my own director, playwright, really fucking turned me on. It was only later that you find the the mechanics of comedy, in fact, take you away from acting. Do you know? Because acting, you have to be a different person. You know, you have to uh, step into somebody else's shoes. Whereas comedy, you have to really find who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you'll never be able to 
never be able to uh, project what you want to say to these people. It'll mm. always seem a little bit phony to me. Anyways, yeah. So how did you? How long did it take you to find who you were? About if you fucking long times too. Go on. I died for about ten years, man. Fucking, I've I drove nine hours to die in front of a bunch of hillbillies up in northern British Columbia for fucking no money. But I mean, I mean, to to I was a kid, and not only did I have the fact that I didn't know who I was at nineteen, I didn't know who I was on stage or anything. I was just reaching, trying to fucking build anything I could, you know. Like, uh, but but eventually, if you do something long enough, you you get good at it. And uh, and and I've the thing is is that I I've been around for long enough to actually get good at this. Most people. They'll they'll try it for three or four years because they think it'll be a job or something like that, and then they'll quit. But this business is all to me about longevity and not profile, all that sort of stuff. Because it's the same as you sitting there going in and being a mechanic for the first day. Do you know what I mean? You'll go in, you won't know how to fucking build an engine. But if you're hanging around that shit for 10 years, not only will you be able to build an engine, you'll be able to build the fucking best engine, you you know. But if you quit after three or four years, you know, you're never going to be able to build that engine. So you have to have that passion to keep going. So. There, there are presumably people who've been going for 10 years who are still bad and shouldn't be doing it. Are there? There's because, tons of those guys. Yeah. So what differentiates the person that keeps going? In what way were you keeping going? Because I totally appreciate what you're saying, but it's at the same time, we both know it's not just about turning up every day. So It within- kind of is, though, Stu. It kind of is. The, the one thing that they haven't changed, you know what I mean? They, the people that are bad that have been doing it for 10 years, they've been doing the same thing hoping to get the, a different result. That is the difference. I mean, if you're in this long enough and you hang around with the right people and all of a sudden you learn from, like, all the masters of the road, like, everybody everybody I've ever tur- toured with has, has affected me. Do you know what I mean? What, like, kind of, what kind of names are we talking about? Well, I mean, obviously, like, one of my biggest ones is Craig Campbell. He's, like... Uh, he was the one that introduced me to comedy and all that sort of shit. I go way back with him. I mean, even you to an extent, too. I mean, we, we've gigged. I even remember your first gig. You used to walk on super fucking confident. And I remember your, your gig because you'd walk on going, I'm so fucking good looking. <laughs> and you would be like fucking all about the... Because you, you came on with arrogance. That's how you were going to fucking get these people. You were going to do this arrogance and show how preposterous it was. Do you know yeah, what I, mean? I remember. How, how I fucking remember. ridiculous I, I really was. tried to make that I'm good looking angle work for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> now we're doing podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. It's what I do. Uh, if it's anyone's listening do. along playing the Comcom Com drinking game, finish all of the drinks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, they just haven't adapted. They haven't they 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 haven't learned so they probably you know uh 
haven't been with the right people yet. But that may change. I mean, no one says that it's the timetable of 10 years either, Stu. We're not saying there's a cutoff point. Maybe maybe that person that's doing it for 10 years is a slower learner than everybody else, and maybe it's going to take him 20 fucking years. But if he loves it that much, he'll, he'll keep going at it, you know? Tom stayed then. What a wonderful comic and what a what a riveting interview right from the start. I was so excited when he he um he said that just that very first thing about wisdom. What's well, that's such a good point. And the I mean I know to those of you who don't know him and, and who haven't necessarily seen much of his act, that premise of are you someone that talks about things in your life or are you life? That's going to sound very hippy-dippy, kind of new worldy, new age kind of philosophy sort of stuff. But it, it, I think it's a really good point, and I've been reflecting on that a lot just in the last week or two since doing that interview. When writing new stuff, I've just been thinking, yeah, it's not only about making... It's not only about talking about the things that are going on in your life, which is something I I would imagine almost all of us do, um, but actually trying to reach beyond that and aim to represent. And it's impossible to talk about without saying something awful and pretentious like the human condition. But that's it. Are you life? Are you something in which life experience is distilled and therefore visible and accessible to people listening to listen if you're listening to the episode you're getting all of this said much better than i could um, but i'm really excited about this one and uh, i'm sure you guys will be too um only two little things really uh, one of course thank you for the donations uh, they're really helping the show uh, i hope you can tell there's a bit of a difference in sound quality on these blurbs because i'm recording them with some very nice new microphones that i was able to uh, to purchase with your donations so thank you that really means a lot to me uh, you can of course donate any amount however large or small just go to comedianscomedian.com click on the paypal button i am making a personal pledge that by (laughs) now i'm talking in personal pledges i've got to think of timing issues by what issue 100 that's got to be possible by issue 100 i will have sorted out global world pay subscriptions uh, because it does paypal insists on giving you a little box you can tick that says make this regular and people use that all the time despite my protestations to the contrary it has never worked and it's just an unending series of emails between paypal you and me uh, whereby it just explains why it can't work and no one knows why and so avoid that misery but by episode 100 i will have tried very hard to either set that up or i will or or you will know the reason why um so uh, that's all of that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, pay as much or as little as you like. And do remember, as ever, that your donations uh, pay for the people who can't afford to donate. There's a lot of students donating me two quid, three or four quid here or there. That's really kind of you guys. I really appreciate that. Um, and equally, there are people in exciting far off places with names like Hoboken or Hoboken, possibly that's from last week, wasn't it? Or someone in Cape Town and someone in Auckland recently donated and someone exotic like Western Supermare. Um, so thank you for those donations as well a pound a show if you think that's reasonable or whatever amount you'd like to give and uh, that's at comedianscomedian.com you can tweet me at comcompod uh, or my own uh, Twitter is at Stu Goldsmith they frequently say the same thing so if you follow both of them that must be tiresome I can only apologise um, and I am now going to do a bunch more uh, a, a bunch more I'm, I'm in a Canadian mood because of Tom um, I am going to do 
I'm going to accept new submissions now. I've been kind of referring, I've been building a list in the past, um, but at the moment I've got a couple of names on those lists, a couple of people I'm uh, I'm contacting at present for the next run of episodes. We all know Phil Kay is going to be episode 100. I've got a few more to do until then. Uh, I know I'm going to be away with Prince Abdi in the, in the Middle East in a couple of weeks doing some comedy store gigs out there, so I'm hoping Prince will come on the show. Uh, there's a couple of other sort of people that are floating around my mind, but now is the time uh, at ComComPod or info at Comedian comedian.com if you would particularly like to recommend someone and as we've done in this episode as Danny Davis in Wolverhampton very kindly uh, put together um, this live event if you're a promoter and you fancy putting on a live thing which basically for my end of it is plug and play so you handle the promotion you you sort the room out all the rest of it you sell the tickets and then we'll organize some sort of a split between you me the venue and the guest then I can just turn up and we'll organize someone for me to do if you'd like to do that remember Paul Savage did that for me before with the Gary Delaney episode there's a couple of others in in uh, uh, sort of in irons in the fire at the moment for those uh, but if you would like to be one of those people then just get in touch uh, and just in a this is some of you will know uh, Ollie Double Oliver Double who uh, wrote this fantastic book on uh, on stand up comedy that I and a lot of uh, my contemporaries read years ago um, he is now setting up an archive of stand up comedy material and you can email Ollie and his colleague Nick Hiley uh, standup at kent.ac.uk so Ollie now is a lecturer at the University of Kent and teaches I believe a stand up module there um, so if you would like to donate any of your stuff, now I've had a brilliant conversation with Ollie about this, but it, it's sort of, it's things that you would love to see. Like I remember, I remember seeing Noel Fielding and Lee Mack do the Comedy Zone years ago at Edinburgh. I don't remember the year, I don't remember who else was on the bill, apologies if it was you, um, but uh, it was mostly memorable for Noel Fielding having a horrendous death to everyone apart from me in the audience, and he ended up delivering the entire set to me, and it was crushingly awkward. Um, but this is sort of pre-fame kind of level, obviously, and um, and I would love to know who was on that bill. I'd love to remind myself what the poster looked like. This is what the stand-up comedy archive will be able to achieve. If you've got any recordings of yourself, if you're professional, if you've got any kind of uh, material you haven't made a available in the past, any archival stuff, you can send it to standup at kent.ac.uk. I'm sure they'll be accepting uh, scans or uh, or whatever you of... um uh, of, of physical, you know, visual documents. Old. I love looking at, you know, some clubs like the Banana Cabaret in London. Of course, the Comedy Store. They've got fabulous old black and white ten by eights on the wall from from comics, and you can look at it and go, "Oh my god, that's what whoever Steve Coogan looked like twenty five years ago." Um, so anything, if you've got any stuff like that, uh, probably if you're going to send them huge files, email them first and check. But it's stand up at kent.ac.uk. They'd love to hear from you. I think that's a brilliant enterprise that I'm very happy and proud to be supporting. Uh, I've only recently started chatting to Ollie. Not, not even met him in person yet but he seems like a really nice dude that is everything for the moment join the facebook group you can get a little sneak peek there at uh, at the phil k episode a little unreleased thing it's a little treat um and let's get back to the brilliant tom stayed <laughs> so for for your for those 10 years of northern british columbia and all of those kind of things just take us back to that sort of that time on the road what kind of lessons were you learning what things were being knocked off you what obstacles were you taking out of the way between you and your funniest self okay um well first of all i think you start by the lifestyle is the thing that uh is your first big change you know to me being on the road and living this life of awesomeness not having to go to a nine to five fucking job frees up your thinking because you don't have to be polite to anybody do you know what i mean 
and I don't mean it in a bad way, but you have to work with, when you're in nine to five jobs, you have to deal with other people and you can't be offensive to them, which, which blocks your thinking. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, I've said horrible fucking things to me that aren't even fucking horrible, but to this douchebag over here, <laughs> he would go, fucking, how can you even think like that? And uh, when you're on the road with other comics, you know, in a car for seven fucking hours, and and you're 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 in this environment where everybody's just talking about everything. Nobody's, you know, nobody's fucking judging you or judging your thoughts or anything like that. And then you do the show and you get to be drunk and get to feel awesome and and then come up with all these wild ideas while you're super high and rock starry. And and I think that's the start of your change because you learn. I learned at a very early age to go fuck you. You know what I mean. And and that that to me not not fuck you in a bad way, but I will not bow down to that way of thinking. And I think I think I can break through your barrier to go up. Okay. So I think I think for me it was the lifestyle that changed my way of thinking. You know, because before that I, I had to work with people and yeah I had crazy ass thoughts, but nothing like hanging around with Craig Campbell's and JP Masses and all of a sudden fucking you're talking. <laughs> See, I'm scared to even tell it to you on your podcast. All of a sudden, you're laughing at rape, which is a biggie nowadays. You know, I'm not saying, you know, anybody listening to this podcast is going to go fucking, they're going to hear that one fucking word. But they, the one thing that it is, is it's the absurdity of the idea that mm-hmm. most comedians make fun of. You know what I mean? The, the absurdity that we humans do this to each other. You know, and, and the more you shy away from not talking about it, the more it actually wins. Okay. But you have thoughts, you have freedom thoughts like that that you wouldn't normally get working for the ex- native monster. Yeah. You can't sit around fucking just having conversations around the water cooler talking about rape, can you? Huh? Oh, he doesn't talk to anyone. <laughs> He's probably the rapist. <laughs> Watch out, ladies. He's going to put his penis inside you when you don't want it. (laughs) Fucking, I don't have to. He's reviewing you. (laughs) And then the rapist wrote this. I mean, there's a chance I'm going to need to put some explanatory notes with of the release. Of course you are. Of e- course you are. I, I may of not. course you are, because that shows you how weak the, the people that are listening to this. They're, they're gonna, they're, you you got to put an explicit thing, like, like they think that, that you're not allowed to talk about this sort of stuff and all that. To the fact that you would even have to put a, a warning for somebody just shows you how far most people's minds can go. If you warn them, then it's okay, but you just can't spring it on them because they couldn't handle it. And I agree with that. You should put a warning on this because I'm going to come and rape you. <laughs> I, I just for the, I'm fucking dead on that. <laughs> just for the in. record, the explanatory notes I meant were going to explain the reviewing uh, the guy oh, setting shit. up situation. <laughs> but uh, uh. <laughs> but I do. I mean, there's a whole other conversation to be had about the context of rape jokes. I think whatever. What I'm not even. I don't want to go there. But what I'm saying because let's not 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 that. It's just. There are certain ideas out there, okay? Let's not just focus on that one. There's tons of them that are like that. 
Do you know what I mean? And it is our job as anyways, to go back to your original. So so being able to work with these guys freed me up to be able to think about these things without having fear of thinking of them or to think that I'm a weirdo just because I think of these thoughts. I mean so so that was probably one of the bigger transformations for me was just the lifestyle itself. Uh, starts providing your material and who you are going to become. That, I think that's what I'm trying to say. There is, um, there is a, a, a thing, a sort of, um, what's the word? So there's something I've observed about the Canadians in the UK circuit, oh. which, which is good, which is a good thing that I've okay. observed. That I've always, I mean, the Canadian acts that come over here and come to my attention at least, and there may be more than I'm aware of, um, they tend to be really, really good. Okay. And I wonder, there's a lot of other kind of speculation for that. I talked to John Hastings recently on the podcast. We were talking about the, the elements of having to travel a, a very long way, a much longer way than most UK comics have to travel in order to get the gig. That means you, have, you absolutely have to get paid because you're making such an effort. That was one of them. From what you're talking about now, there is something about the, that environment of comics in a car traveling for seven hours you probably don't have those freedom, free-ranging ideas-based conversations in the first hour of the journey, no. which might be all that a British comic gets. Well, again, here, okay, well, I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in this idea. Um, uh, when you travel, it all depends also who you're traveling with. There are comics that don't like to share ideas because they take this business very uh, seriously and any idea that they have they will want to claim and all that sort of stuff so if you're in cars with guys like them you get nothing you know you're usually "Eh, let's turn on the radio and hey let's not say nothing to each other Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's not be honest and all that sort of stuff and then other comics that you're with you will get into that conversation within the first hour because you enjoy their company and all that sort of stuff so so um, I think I I, I, I I think it's it's who you're in that car with will will uh, give you what you're looking for or not give you what you're looking for. Do you know what I mean? So I don't think it's the I don't think it's the fact that you're in a car with seven hours. Imagine being in a car with seven hours with somebody who doesn't want to fucking open up. I've done that. Yeah, yeah man, that's like seven hours of okay, more Radio Four. Mm-hmm. This guy, let's talk about whatever the fuck he's talking about. Uh-huh. You know, so I think uh, I think it's the people that are in that car that that um, make that journey fun. So we're we're talking about the kind of the creation of. I, I was going to say the creation of your persona. I think in the terms that we're talking, that's not oh, right. Yeah. What we're talking about is the removal of all the stuff in between what you were yeah. doing your earlier stuff. Uh, well, I the, here's the other thing. I fucking I took it a little too far too, Stu. Like I'd be. I, after a while, you can only do so many drugs and drink so many beers and shoot so many whiskeys before the the lifestyle can take over, too. There has to be that balance, man, because... Because you know, for for a long, you know, you know my reputation in this business. Not a lot of people want to on TV want to work with me. <laughs> Is that I, did, I didn't know that that was uh, well. Well, it, it's not that. It's just I'm a dangerous person, man. I could for the BBC, I could throw a fuck out at any moment, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they will get letters <laughs> from people who paid a hundred pounds not to hear Tom say fuck on TV. <laughs> 
And, uh, and you know, that's, they're just saving their ass, so there's um, no worry. But, but um, sorry, Stu. No, 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 you go ahead. We were talk- I mean, you were talking, we'll just digress briefly. Given the, but, given the nature of your act as something that, is, that comes from a place of being free, and part yeah. of that freedom for you might be uh, drugs or alcohol or, you know, yeah. being on stage, being drunk on stage which no, I've only apologies. ever done once, and it was amazing, a, but it, I didn't want to do it again because it was skill. amazing. It's a skill I think every comedian should fucking learn, man. I really do. I think, I think you going on, on uh, after smoking a joint or, or having a few beers, and, and instead, of, uh, instead of trying to do the act, trying to pretend to be sober to do your act, which always fails... But if, if to go on and actually just be in the moment of being drunk and having a bit of a fun with these people instead of taking it so seriously is a skill in itself, man. I mean, I'm not saying, like, do it on the Apollo. You know what I mean? But if you're in a back room fucking, you know, in Wolverhampton where there's fucking five, ten people, get fucking hammered. See what you can do. <laughs> Fucking nobody's going to give a shit, and you're going to learn how to just be in that fucking moment, you know? Be, like I always said, you know, fucking before I go on stage, you know, you don't know what Tom you're going to get. You might, you might get drunk Tom. You might, you might get stoned Tom. You might get Tom who'd just been in a scrap with his fucking wife for two hours, told her to fuck off, slam the door, and I'm going to make these people fucking laugh. But I will ride that emotion with the material that I'm doing, you know? So, I mean, instead of trying to recreate the same thing all the time, you know, I I try and make uh, each show as individual as it possibly can because of that. Yeah. Just to talk briefly about when it doesn't work, you know, about when, when you... Let everybody down? When you let everybody down. No, I'm well. We can talk about that as well. I mean... Are there times when drunk Tom has been too drunk to perform a decent act? Totally. There have been times that Tom has fallen off the fucking stage drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking, and and, and you know what? By all means, fucking everybody at that show will remember that show for the rest of their lives. Uh, But but then again, okay, now now we're moving into... Back then, yeah, I I might have felt something for it. You know, I don't really... I, my my body can't take the same lifestyle anymore, Stu. I, I still try, you know what I mean? I still fucking try to be that dude and all that, but it just, my lungs can't handle the same shit as they used to. But um, as we went, what was it? What, what did you just say? Just <laughs> um, we were talking about, has drunk Tom ever let people down? Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Um but but as I've grown a little bit, uh, that's when I wanted to do good, okay, in the, in the terms of letting people down. I don't even think about that anymore because what, what I think about now is there, there isn't a good or a bad show anymore, okay? To me, something's going to happen. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to be with it. No matter what the fuck it is, it's going to happen. And I, I, I could be dying, but you want to know something, Stu? I die very fucking well, okay? <laughs> dying is an art form on its own, okay? Whether you're, you're fucking Doug Stanhope, I love to see that cunt die. I love to see him fucking hammered. And I love to see him piss the fucking audience off because there's the connoisseur in me that is fucking going, that is so fucking good, you know. But, 
but um, now I don't think I would get so drunk on stage that I would fall off. Not like when I was 22 going, fuck you, cunt. And then, and then just, you know, you know, again, who gives a fuck if I got fired today? I mean, I'm not. Is that, is that purely because so. your body can't take it anymore? Or is there, is there any other, I mean, do you ever feel like emotionally connected to having, do you feel that you've let down audiences or promoters or yourself or your financial responsibilities or missed out work that would have been useful for feeding your family? Do you know what I mean? Do you, yeah. do you feel that there are, there are elements of that where you've overdone it or do you feel like, hey, that was, you know, that's just the gig, whatever I'm like, that's the gig? Yeah, yes, do it. But, but the, the goals were different back then. Do you know what I mean? The goals I... Uh, you know, I, when I did let them down, I really felt for it. You know what I mean? And I, 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 and when I did let them down, you're right. You're right. Like there was, I was still a, a starving comic going to the people, so I needed those gigs. I fucking really needed those gigs. And if I did let a promoter down and never got to work in that club again for however fucking long it was, they always ban you and then, you know, see you seven years later. <laughs> Like, are you still drunk? What? <laughs> and um, back then, I I did. Do you know what I mean? But but now, I'm a, Stu, now now you got to understand that I've also grown from that, and I'm glad I experienced all that sort of stuff to the point where I don't. It, it, it probably would never happen again now. But the funny part is is that now I go into rooms not caring if I get fired or not because I think that frees me up. But when when you're talking about back then, yeah, you're right. It did fucking affect a lot of things, man. I mean, I, I mean it was the bane of my existence, <laughs> like, to sit there and uh, to be known as the... Um, drunk stoned comic that has followed me my whole career and all that sort yeah. of stuff and to to not be able to change in front of these people is a very hard thing to I deal mean, with to not be able to change well yeah i mean i mean to sit there uh, just the same way as we were talking about who you were and then you change from that person to this person that person also changes into this person do you know what i mean 40 it's my birthday today Stu. you mentioned yeah thank I'm, you for coming I'm and doing this on your 40 four years old and i've been doing it since i've been 18 and um and and you know even that person that 20 year old party reckless motherfucker has changed into this 44-year-old that can use all that stuff that I've learned piece by piece, get rid of what I don't like about myself, take what I do like about myself to create this person right now. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm never not going to go on stage and fucking, like I say, I mean, people are people. You know what I mean? And, And to sit there and have a good time, have a couple drinks before you go on and all that sort of stuff. Just be with them. They're having drinks. You're having drinks. It's a fabulous time. But I don't think I'd ever go over the edge like I used to. But but like I say, it's weird that before when I did go over the edge, I cared about being fired. And now that I don't go over the edge, I don't give a fuck if I do get fired. So, okay, that, well, that's, that was going to be my next question, which is that when you do big TV 
spots, yeah. things that are important, and you've presumably got management and career opportunities riding on it and stuff like that. Given profile, the, the, pro- big, the big hunt for profile, yeah. isn't that fabulous? We'll talk, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But when you are doing those key profile-related gigs, somewhere where there is, there is a risk of, you know, you, you like a situation in which you have to do well, are you able to be as free on stage as the 22-year-old, don't give a fuck, I'll say anything? Given that, given that you're, you know, you're talking about this sort of sensual experience of let's see where this goes. Yeah. Can you still have those kind of gigs under the pressure of a film crew and a rehearsal and having to hit your marks and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, of course you can, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, now you can. Like those, those because if you don't free yourself up for them, you're never you're you're gonna look um, gonna look really monologue-y on on TV and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you ha- you still have to have that fun element within. I mean, when they ask you to do those shows, they ask you to type up the script completely. You you know this as well as I do. They they, they need the lawyers to do every fucking check. Can I say that word? Oh, can we use that word? It's the BBC. Can't. Uh, can't say a store or we might be promoting it. Can we take this perfectly good word that makes the joke work and yeah, change it to one that doesn't? Totally. Great. Fucking yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And, um, but but the, the sense of freedom within that I, I still have because of all those times. You know, like uh, the, the sense of freedom of going up there and, and maybe I will change a word once I get up there. I will fight the system just enough so I win, but they won't attack me. You know, so that's 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 what I think. But but you're you're mentioning the you know these big gigs that build you up, and and you know the, this the the agent's gonna uh, you know that you do great on this gig. All of a sudden, you'll be famous, and you get everything you fucking want. And and because that's that's everybody assumes that that's what I want is fame, and fucking I don't want it. I mean, I, I'll take it. I'll take it if it comes my way, but I won't go fucking chasing after it after all these years. Do you know what I mean? To me, it's it's the art of comedy that I enjoy the most, and that and that that idea that you you're chasing this thing that once you get to fame, then what do you do? Then then what do you do? What do you do when you reach the end? Whereas if you just kind of look at this as an art form, it never ends. It never ends, and fame will come, and fame will go, and money will come, money will fucking go. But in the end, you just have that that art form. Like when, like I achieved all my goals when I said I want to become a comedian. <laughs> fucking done, sorted. Goals are, are are sorted now. It's just really get into the heart of this fucking beast and figure out how it works and be the next uh, comedy Picasso. <laughs> Let's talk about the the craft of writing the stuff. So something that you did in the, the sort of brief kind of new material performance before this, mm-hmm. uh, you said you had some ideas here that you're going to sort of play with, yeah. and we played with them. At what point do you do you write stuff down physically? Do you just have it all in your head? Talk us through. You've got it. Like, are you doing Edinburgh next year? You're going to yeah. write another. Okay, yeah, so you're going to write another hour from now. What's the process look like now for that stuff? Okay. Are you ready for this? Are you really ready ready for this? Because I learned something about two years ago that I didn't realize. Um, For the most part, 
everything I write, I don't ever sit down to write anything anymore. I used to, but I still do keep a pen and paper beside my bed because most of my thoughts come at the end of the night and I'll roll over to Trudy and fucking tell her something funny and she'll go, would you just fuck off? You know, like, <laughs> I'm a photographer. I don't give a shit about your job. <laughs> and I go, that's why I love you, baby. <laughs> but I, um, most of the things come in car rides with you. Uh, most of them when I'm walking my dog and we have this fabulous thing now called the iPad with iNotes that before you used to write them down in your little book, always had to carry your little book around and write all those things down. And, 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 and then you, now I got the iPod. And what happens for me is I'll have two or three lines that I'll write down, and I know, what, I, know I got to get from A to fucking B to C. And then, and then that's what my amateur nights are for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To go into these amateur nights and just mess around without any expectation, any free, you're just free to fucking talk, and you're not looking for laughs. You're looking more for the comfort in what you're going to say. You know what I mean? I'm not looking for the laugh. I'm looking how comfortable am I to be able to say this without it seeming joke for me. Do you know what I mean? So it seems like it's a nice idea and all so that. So you need sort of to actively stuff. stay away from something that sounds like a joke. Yeah, well, not not real. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that I'm not looking for the funny when I start. What I'm looking for is the comfort of being able to say it. You know, what am I trying to say? And and I'll go on stage like and 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 talk about one of my ideas, and then I'll come off stage and I'll go. I I don't even think that's what I was trying to say. So I'll try it again until I can feel a flow of what I'm trying to say, okay? And then what I've done is I used to have a a tape recorder, right? Everybody always hears that. You're a new comedian, yeah? You fucking got your your tape recorder, all that, so you can listen to the joke and listen to where the funny was, okay? And I, one night I decided to videotape myself and... uh, (laughs) It was probably one of the, you know, those eye-opener moments of Mm -hmm. boom, you know. So I taped myself, video, and I went home and I watched it. And I realized something, that I am now watching what the audience is seeing. Do you know what I mean? But I'm also knowing something that the audience doesn't know is I'm also knowing what I'm thinking about on on that 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 thing, and I found that what I was looking at never matched the delusion of what was going on in my fucking head. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So all of a sudden I started looking at myself because on a tape recorder you can still have the delusion of what you are because there's a laugh, but when there's a video of you. And you're watching yourself. You, you think to yourself, "Why didn't I go farther with that fucking joke? Why didn't I? Why did I check it out there? Why was I scared?" I, I learned that um, about myself on those things. I learned that whenever I'm uncomfortable with a joke, I'll start holding this microphone like this to mm-hmm. pretend that I'm fucking comfortable and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And as soon as I saw that, you know, all of a sudden that microphone went behind me, and mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden I was freed up to do these things, to do whatever joke I was, so I didn't have that, and I had to really delve into it. But but I found that the more... Now, this is the way I write, right? You ask me, now what I do is I videotape any of the ideas, 
and I start matching what the audience is seeing instead of the delusion. You know what I mean? And I and I and what I do is is I can see what they're seeing, and I I, I see what what I should have done there, what I shouldn't have done, how I should have been thinking at that point, and all of a sudden, jokes get really good really fast. Do you know what I mean? Because now I'm actually watching what I need to do instead of listening to a tape recorder going, oh, that was really funny. Is that, so that's okay. what you mean by the delusion is you can listen back to it and go, oh, there's, I've heard that laugh, therefore everything must have been okay. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it, uh, it matches what's in my head and it's the rock star that I am. You know? But how many people do you know that come off stage that went, that was fucking dynamite? And they fucking bomb completely. Yeah, right. And there are tons of those guys. But that, that video camera thing, because most people don't, most comedians don't like looking at themselves because they, that delusion will fucking, it'll, they'll, if they have to see the delusion, it'll destroy them. Mm-hmm. It will fucking, as long as they keep that delusion up, it's always the audience's fault. You know what I mean? But once you break that illusion down, then all of a sudden you have to take responsibility for what's going on. But you can because you can see what they're seeing and you can give them what they want out of you. Do you know what I mean? They want you to be brave. They want you to risk. They want you to do all that sort of stuff. And until you actually physically see it, then I don't think you can give them that. You know, you can't see what they're seeing, you know? Are there particular topics that you think of that you spot and go like in terms of this, taking a starting point and turning it into a a, a Tom Stade bit? Right. Are there topics that you think are particularly Tom Stade? Um, I find uh, I find what makes my material me is I I don't I don't too often stray out into uh, any world that isn't right around me. Okay, if it if it doesn't affect me, I will not really talk about it too much. Do you know what I mean? You know how most people will talk about what's on the TV, even though I did Undercover Boss, I understand that. Mm. But it still was one of those things that it's it's something I, I, I you, you'll never see me con- commenting on the Iraq war too often. Do you know what I mean? And this, but everything around me is me, which which pretty much. Is I talk about like uh, like family. I'm I'm really big on exposing the inner psycho in relationships. Like 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 you guys all think I'm a really cool fucking dude, maybe. <laughs> okay, but my my wife knows what kind of a fucking psycho I actually am, and I know what kind of a fucking psycho she is. But to everybody else, we're normal fucking people, mm-hmm. and I I like to. Expose the psychoness, so most people don't feel like they're fucking psychos. That it's happening, you know. We're all psychos, so let's just be okay with psycho. And and anything that kind of involves my world, do you know what I mean? So, so that would be my trope. I think mm-hmm. is that is that would like because I don't really stray stray from this, you know. I don't really stray from what's going on within. Tom's world, you yeah. Know, like when okay. I when I look at when I watch news, I, I, I there was a play I saw. I watched a play, and um, I thought it was a great quote. When when on the play, he said uh, the newspaper. He goes, "That's just other people's problems." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I don't really feel like fucking getting into other people's problems because I got a shitload of my own that I'd like to unload on okay. you people. Okay, okay. So so that would be my trump. That so so I pretty much write about 
you know, family. I mean, going to markets, meat vans, just really <laughs> fucking... Uh, that's right. That's the joke that made me famous. <laughs> uh, one joke. I had a hit song, and all of a sudden... <laughs> Now I'm just proving not to be a one-hit wonder kind of fucking, and, and um, so it's just all that sort of stuff around me. Whereas, whereas you take another guy like, I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I have to use like you take a guy like Brendan Burns or one of these guys, and they'll talk about the world, yeah, and they'll bring their opinions on how they could change the fucking world, and I'm right, I'm I'm just trying to change my world. <laughs> comment on this world that is going on right in front mm. of me so that's that that's that's when now whatever that entails you know i'm always surprised you know what i mean there'll be a, there'll be a new topic coming along that'll that that'll go i i can't believe that was even in my world you know mm-hmm. so but for the most part i like to i like to stay internal yeah, that's a good way. I like to be internal instead of external, you know. So I, I, I pretty much comment on my human condition, hoping that my human condition, <laughs> I'm not the only one going through this. And when I spew out my human condition, if people laugh, then I know I'm not the only one going through this. And I think when you do write a joke and you're 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 talking about yourself, the really good ones the really good jokes that you write is when they're listening and instead of seeing you in the story, they can see themselves in the fucking story. And, and that's, that, that, that's like a, that's a kick ass. That's, that's the meat van joke in itself. Like when I tell that joke, nobody ever really talks that I'm the one in it. Mm-hmm. They always come up to me and tell me about a fucking meat van <laughs> that they've been at. And, and, and it brings them into, you know, so that joke isn't really about me. It, it, they've seen themselves in that joke, which makes it a fabulous fucking joke. And I don't just look like some dickhead who, you know, thinks I know what to do about the Iraq war. <laughs> I'll stick to meat vans. So. Um, if anyone has a question, uh, please feel free to raise a hand. After these 10 years of being bad, was there a particular epiphany where something clicked and you got better, or was it a gradual process? Uh, it, it's definitely a gradual process. No, but I didn't wake up and all of a sudden, boom, I'm writing fucking dynamite jokes and that sort of shit. You know, like you bad start- luck comics who've been shit for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> bad luck. <laughs> No, it's um, it, it 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 well, it is. It's a gradual. Like you'll you'll write your first killer joke. Do you know what I mean? Eventually, you'll write your first killer joke that you can't believe works every fucking time, and uh, and and you will take that and but you'll and then you'll try and write another one like that, and it'll you, you'll wonder why you can't do it. But then all of a sudden, you write that second one, and all of a sudden, it gets a little bit easier. As you go along, you start understanding how to how to write that joke for you, you know, and 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 eventually, you know, you build up probably your your first half hour in in all those, and and I really mean that fucking if you're starting from scratch, not knowing comedy, and you get to a half an hour in ten years, I'm I'm really impressed, like a killer, because you could tour off that for years to fucking come, but. What it is is that you start um, you start writing that first great joke, and then and then all your other jokes pale in comparison to it, you know. Because now all of a sudden you've got a great joke, and the rest of your jokes are shit, 
and and all of a sudden you've given the rest of your jokes a reference point. You don't like the rest of your jokes, so you gotta fucking scrap that and and scrap all that other shit if you're brave enough to fucking do it, and and try and figure out why that joke is so great. And that and that takes time, man. Because because the other the reason it also takes time is because when you're starting, you don't gig every fucking day. You know what I mean? Like I know guys that wait six fucking weeks to get their next gig, you know? And so so that's the time that it takes. If you were gigging every day, it wouldn't take you fucking 10 years. But because you're gigging once in a while, you know, and you're building yourself up, that's that's why it doesn't happen overnight it's a real gradual thing that you you do and then and then eventually once you get 20 minutes and then people start noticing you i think that's when the change comes because then you get more gigs because you finally worked up to a nice 20 that everybody's happy with and you can start you get a little bit of recognition and all that sort of stuff and then the process starts speeding up does that answer your question like was it a good answer okay i hope so this is your first gig. Just yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your first gig, you're going to be floundering like a fish on fucking land, trying to breathe, going, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? And, and, and five minutes is going to seem like a fucking eternity. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is going to, you're going to sit there. You think you got five minutes of material. Once you get on fucking stage, all of a sudden, it is going to go down to one, and you are just going to be coming up with ideas, going, this is how to build an engine. And all of a sudden, <laughs> got Lego pieces going, what, this guy a retard or something? You know, but, but the thing is, is that the, the thing I love, the thing I've always loved, the one thing I, I will tell you is because you are a late bloomer and you haven't learned to tell people to fuck off. Okay, you've actually been around appeasing people for your whole fucking life, making sure, like you say, making sure you don't get fired, you know, so, you, you know, you can't show up to work drunk and passed out and on, all of a sudden the stapler's attached to your fucking forehead and you look like a loser and you get fired. You, you've had to appease people for a very long time and you're coming into a business where you've got to break those those barriers for when you so that's going to be a that's going to be a hard time for all the people that I've ever seen start late when you're 18 starting it's really easy to go fuck you to the world but you you have those morals and manners ingrained in you that you are going to have to really fucking break off and say what is on your mind because I bet you in when you're sitting there in your 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 bed or whatever the thoughts that go through your mind all the thoughts that go through your mind that you say I can't tell anybody about this or they'll think I'm a fucking weirdo those are the thoughts that you got to bring to that fucking stage and, and break that fucking fear that you're going to have. And I know you're going to have it, you know. But if you can do that, then you're on your way. And, and you know what? Fucking enjoy starting it off because it's so much fun experimenting. You know, I have expectation now, which I fucking hate. That's why I go on stage not caring that I get fired anymore because that expectation makes you shit. But if you go up on stage not giving a flying fuck and you know how to build an engine and if they don't like your engine, they can go fuck off. Um, you, you are such a... In the beginning, it's such a fun time 
you know, just having a fucking voice out there and having a whole bunch of people actually listen to any fucking thing that you have to say. So you, you got to really revel in it. And like I said, tape yourself. Watch, watch how fucking retarded you look on your first day. You'll, you'll piss yourself laughing, man. You'll go, fucking... But, but at least you'll see. You know, you'll see what you're doing. It'll, it'll speed things up for you, man. That's a really, that is a new question to the podcast. So the question is, when people uh, suggest a topper to one of your, uh, to one of your gags, uh, how receptive are you if they're a punter as compared to how receptive are you if they're a comic? Um, do you know what? <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I, I've never actually, to be real honest, I've never actually thought about that. So this is my first time. And when I go home tonight, I'm going to go, why the fuck did I say that to her? But uh, I think I think as a as a comedian, you can uh, differentiate that 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 the joke that the punter gave you is is good enough for your act. I mean, I mean, just because you are a punter, but mo- most people, you know, they they. The, the the punter. That's such a weird word because <laughs> I don't want to insult punters, but. Uh, you know, they they have an idea of what comedy is as a punter, and there there may be comedy geeks out there. Probably, probably all of them are listening to this podcast, and um, it all depends on what the punter says. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you could probably have somebody. I mean, you know what? Actually, as long as as long as you you me meaning me. You tell me something, and I really like it, and I think it's funny. I don't think I give a fuck where it comes from, as long as I'm not stealing it. And I think the biggest thing that you got to worry about with with punters is you don't know where that Mm. tag came from. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You don't know if that is from somebody else's act. Whereas when you get an idea from a comedian, he sort of has a general knowledge. He's been around, he's seen all the different comedians, and he, he knows that this isn't a hacky line or this isn't, this isn't stolen from somebody. So I think, I think the only question you have to ask when you get with a punter is where did the, the line come from? And you, got, you always got to be a little bit skeptical because you're wondering if that person is really comedy savvy or maybe he just lucked out and, and that's fantastic. But, but I, I wouldn't dismiss it, not, not at all, because some of my, my best friends who aren't comedians, have, have we've had some wonderful conversations where they've given me brilliant brilliant lines and they're they're not comedians they're you're just in that moment of laughing your fucking guts out because you've just smoked a shitload of weed if you believe in a new idea and you try it and it gets nothing do you try it again how many times do you try it again before your belief in it, it fades with everybody fades. else yeah yeah um I, I, you know what that is uh that that i don't think that has a time limit my man i think that that is all up to you you know some people have this rule that they'll try it three times. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I've heard that lots. I'll, I'll give that material a three-time shot. Some people will defy the audience, and even though they think it's funny and it never fucking gets a laugh, they will say, fuck you, I'm going to do this joke till I die, and I'm going to find one audience that thinks it's funny, <laughs> and then I'll abandon it. <laughs> 
to prove that I was right. <laughs> but <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, yeah. See that. <laughs> Fucking, that's a real inside comedy. <laughs> that's inside. Um, but that is a real personal thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, that is such a, uh, uh, a personal battle you're going to have with that material. You know, to me... You know, if I think it's funny, you know, fucking I'll never give up on it. I won't I won't bring it to the forefront, but I will work on it until I until I get it right. And I and I'm I'm still one of these guys that goes to amateur nights every Monday. You know, like not a lot of everybody thinks that I just go and do the big show, but I mean even on this tour, I can't wait the the show that I'm most excited about are my Monday night 10 minutes of me being an amateur again do you know what i mean because you got to get rid of all your material and once again you don't know if any of this shit is going to work but i'm a better mechanic than you and i'll get this engine fixed faster than you will but uh, i think that's a real personal thing and i don't think there there should be any rules behind it but if you if if it if in the beginning Okay, you're trying to get work and you can't really get it going. Just put it on the back burner, man. Do you know what I mean? You can also do that. Nothing's saying, like, I mean, uh, actually, that's interesting. Nothing's saying, like, I've got, uh, I've got joke books from, like, 20 years ago that I wrote ideas that I could never make work back then because I wasn't a good enough comic. But I'll look back on them and go, oh, fuck, that's a great idea. And then I can all of a sudden make them work. So you give them, you try them. And then if they don't work, just put them on a back burner because maybe you're not at the right... You're, maybe you're not a love, level 20 comedian and you're not allowed... That's a Dungeons & Dragons reference. <laughs> that's how geeky I am. I'm a level 20 comedian, okay? I've got spells that you level ones can't even use. <laughs> Thank you. I got artifacts and magic staffs. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think, I think that's a real personal thing, man. And, and yeah, that's what I think about that. As a very final thing, what would be your final message to comedy? What would be chiseled on your comedy gravestone? What's your, your one piece of wisdom that if you could impart one thing to prospective comics on how to do it? Uh, I, I, I say this all the time to every nervous comedian who, who I, I, I try to... I've always been a nice guy, Stu. You know, yeah, you were very me. nice to me from the first day you got yeah, in my car, and like, lit up a joint, and then asked me if I minded. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I love, I, I don't. There's no competition with me. I think there's only art. So I don't think anyone's doing better or worse than me, and everybody's on their path. And what I, what my, what would be on my gravestone is something that somebody told me a long time ago that changed. That was a, a turning point for me. And it would be, if you're going to be a star, you might as well start acting like one. That's my, that would be on my gravestone. If you're going to be a star, fucking act like one. Don't sit there and be fucking nervous before you go on stage. Do you think Burt Reynolds gets fucking nervous before he goes on set? Fuck not, man. But I see all these great comedians with balls of fucking nerve that stop them from having fun and just sticking to their material. So when he said, you, the guy that said it, I'm not going to say it because it's a name dropper. And it's a big one. <laughs> but uh, when, he, when, he, when I was so nervous that day and he came up and, and told me that, it changed how I go on stage now. I just, 
I go on stage like I'm a star. You know what I mean? Whether I am or I'm not, who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? But I might as well go up there and act like one. And, and eventually, if I act like it long enough, you'll, that, that invisible world will eventually match the, the visible world, and you will be the star that you need to, to become. But until you start acting like that, you're, you're always going to be a fucking amateur now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, All Tom right. State. Right, right, right. <laughs> I can't believe anybody gives a shit about my opinions. <laughs> so thanks to Tom. Uh, thank you to Danny Davies, who, as I mentioned, organised and promoted this live special. I really enjoyed that. That is one, that's an episode for me that I can feel has already, it's already having a lasting life outside of the interview. Do you see what I mean? It's one of those ones you go, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot in days and years to come. Uh, if you're a promoter who would like to host one of these ComComPod live specials in your city, email me info at comedianscomedian.com. Thank you to Ben Lund Conlon for the Podmin for this episode, which was co-produced by Nathan Wood. We're back next week with the rubber-legged amphibio clown, Trig V. Wakenshaw. It's a fabulous conversation with a really lovely, very, very funny man. He's almost like, um, I, I imagine in advance that some of you will perceive him to be a bit like uh, a Dr. Brown that doesn't hate stand-up. Now, I'm obviously I'm, I'm misquoting uh, lovely Phil Burgers there, but you remember the, the, uh, the, the response to his episode about uh, comedy. I know he doesn't hate stand-up, but um, uh, Trigby, I think, has a much more... Uh, uh, I'm not going to say he's warmer than Phil. He's not, I, I think Phil is a very warm guy, but uh, Trigby is much more... He's just... He's loose and gangly, and he kind of gets involved in a way that I think you're really going to find fun and very instructive as ever. So that's all for now. I've been Stuart Goldsmith. I'll speak to you soon.